We are starting a series called Shift. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 19 and 20 for the next uh, seven or so weeks. Um, curious, how many of you have ever heard the expression, I can feel it in my bones? Who? Yeah. So any of you know people that literally can feel it in their bones? Um, like these are the people that you wake up in the morning, you check your weather app, and you see it's going to be like beautiful outside, sunny, and so you're walking out the door, and they're like, grab an umbrella. Like, why would I grab an umbrella? It's because it's going to rain. How do you know my, my weather app says it's going to be beautiful? No, I can just feel it in my bones, right? I can feel it in my bones. And then it rains, right? And you're like, how did you know that? And they really, literally can feel it in their bones. I think um, when I think about where the disciples are, right, in Luke chapter 19, where we're going to pick it up today, I think if, if we could get into their heads and ask ourselves this question, like, what what are they saying to each other? What's their conversation like? I can, I can sense this because here's what's going on. They're going to experience a shift, right? And this is it. Jesus, if you've been with us the last few times we've been talking through the chapters prior, Jesus is starting to talk about the cross a whole lot more, right? So he's talking about the cross and I came to die. And then at the same time, there's this group of people that, like, they're – their hatred of Jesus is starting to spike through the roof. Does anybody know who those people were? Pharisees, right? So like the religious leaders. So you got to watch this, right? You're a disciple. You're following Jesus. He's talking about the cross a lot more. The Pharisees are getting more and more ticked off at him and would love to try to kill him. And they're on their way to, starts with a J, ends with Jerusalem. Right, right, Jerusalem. That was really good. Good job. High five the person next to you. They put that together quickly. So if you think about it, if Jesus is talking about the cross and the Pharisees want to kill him and the Pharisees hang out in Jerusalem, the last place you want to see Jesus going is Jerusalem. And so if we were following behind the disciples as they're journeying with Jesus, I think that you would hear them say something kind of like this. They'd be like, man, something's changing. Like something's happening. Do you sense, do you feel that change? Like, like Jesus, like he ain't playing no more. Hey, I, I don't know what all is going on, but Jesus is it's like another level. He's something is changing, and we're heading to Jerusalem, and I don't I don't know what it is, but I feel it in my bones. I think that's the kind of stuff that they would be saying. So we, we talk about shift, right? Like what we believe is over the next Seven weeks or so, we're in this season of 50 days of, we're calling it 50 days to fire. So it's, it's we're journeying with Jesus from resurrection to revival, right? From Easter Sunday to Pentecost Sunday. And what we're asking you to do as a church body is this, like take the first 10 days, ask God, what would you have me fast from and fast for? Look, that 10 days is up on Tuesday. So this Wednesday, we begin a 40-day period of prayer and fasting. You're probably not going to fast for 40 days, and I'm probably not either. I don't know exactly what we'll all end up doing. But as a church, collectively, we're going to set that time aside and believe that at some point during that time, somebody in our church is praying and fasting. And we're, we're experiencing this shift that the disciples started. It's like something's happening. I'm not quite sure what it is, but something is changing. Right, so... This morning, as we look at Luke 19, I think we're going to see this shift. And the first thing we got, just like, what in the world does that word even represent? Like, what what is a shift, right? Sometimes I think what people believe is, if I could just leave where I am and move to another state, if I could just change the people that I see, then I would have a shift. 
But I want to challenge that, okay? I want to challenge you with this. Here's what I think a shift is. Here's a, here's a, a working definition. A shift is about seeing things differently, not about seeing different things. Seeing things differently, not necessarily about seeing different things. Anybody ever heard the expression paradigm shift? Right? So the things that are happening, you don't see different things. You just suddenly see what's happening differently. I've used this illustration a ton because it's so stinking good. So let me use it one more time. True story. There's a man, and he, um, he's sitting on a subway Chicago, the doors open up, and he's on the, he's on the subway by himself. The doors open, but this dad comes walking in, and these four kids come in with him, and the doors close. The subway takes off. This man's just trying to just chill, read his paper, and, like, we got good kids at the gathering, right? But you ever been around kids that are out of control? Like, these four kids were nuts out of control. Like, they're all over the subway car. Like, he's trying to read the paper, and they're, they're hitting it, and he can't read the paper. And he's just like, you ever, been, you ever been there? You're just like, just trying to breathe, just breathe. And finally, he couldn't take it anymore, and he put his paper down. He said, sir, you have got to get your kids under control. And the man looked up, and he said, sir, I'm so sorry. And we, we just left the hospital. Their mother just died. I don't even know what to do with my kids. And that man had a paradigm shift. He didn't see different things. He saw things differently. And instead of being mad about his paper, he puts his paper down. Instead of seeing out-of-control kids, he sees a dad who's hurting, and he helps his da- that dad take care of the kids on the subway. Listen, that's a paradigm shift. When we talk about having a shift, what you're not going to hear me say is, hey, let's pick the whole church up and move to another city. No, how about let's see the city that we're in differently. Let's have a shift, a paradigm shift. If you want to see it in Scripture, there's a great example of this in 2 Kings chapter 6. The prophet Elisha is hanging out in a cabin with a servant, and he goes outside drinking his cup of coffee. And he sees that there are tons of enemy chariots and horses surrounding the cabin. Servant sees it and comes back in, and he's freaking out, saying to Elisha, like, what are we going to do? And Elisha says something crazy to his servant. He says, "Uh, chill out, because those who are for us are way more than those who are against us. And the servant's like, you haven't been outside yet. And this is the verse, Elisha prays, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. What's he saying? Give him a shift. Shift his perspective. Help him see the same things, but see them differently. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. In other words, he's standing here, he sees enemies surrounding him, and when Elisha prays and says, shift his perspective. He opens his eyes, and behind the enemy, he sees even more angels and armies and chariots of fires. And he's like, God has got this. That's a shift. That's what we're praying that God would do in our lives. Now, maybe you're like, okay, I don't, I don't understand the Bible. That's just a bizarre, crazy story. And I don't live in Chicago. I don't get the subway. We just like bring it all the way home. Make sure you really understand what a shift is. Can we just talk about the matrix? We talk about Morpheus holding out a red pill and a blue pill. 
I just say this, man, listen, that, that is a shift. The blue pill, like take the blue pill and just keep on living status quo, but the red pill, some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Google it, watch it, great movie. Take the red pill. That's a destiny-altering shift. It suddenly caused him to see things differently. I believe in our passage this morning, Luke chapter 19, we're going to meet a man who took the red pill. Okay? You've heard of this man. If you grew up in church, if you grew up in church, you've learned a song about this man. His name is Zacchaeus, and he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? Like, I'm going to read the story, and some of you are going to like, you're going to see it on flannel graph, right? I mean, we, we live in the coolest time, such technology, but everything's coming back full circle. Have you noticed that? Like, everything's coming back. Like, are we going to come back to flannel graph? That's what I want to know, right? Some of you are like, I don't even know what that is. Google that as well, right? Google flannel graph, Google the matrix. Maybe you'll find somebody that acted out the matrix on flannel graph, and it'll be, on, it'll be awesome, right? So anyway, here we go. So we're in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus, let's read the story real quick. It says that Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Now, let's stop there for a second. I want to make sure that you fully understand how the people in that town felt about Zacchaeus. One week from tomorrow is the tax deadline. Ugh. How you feel right now about that? That's how that town felt about Zacchaeus. Nobody jumps up and down for joy at sending the government more money. That's how they felt about Zacchaeus. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. At this point, some of you are singing the song in your head. Am I right? For Jesus was going to pass that way. Verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Can somebody say amen? You're like, that's the refund check I'm looking for, right? Got to move on the heart of the government. Make them feel bad for taking my money. Have them send me back a check four times as much. Keep praying. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Verse 10, if you're a verse highlighter, this is one you want to highlight. If you ever ask yourself, why did Jesus come onto this planet? And if you really think about it, why, right? I mean, look at us. Here's your answer. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. But before we can even get into the shift that I want to talk about, I, I got to ask you a question. I want to make sure that you see this. Sometimes we miss the obvious things. In verse 3, it says, he tried to get a look at Jesus. But he was too short to see over the crowd. Can I just give you this point? We'll never see what we're not looking for. You'll never see what you're not looking for. Like Zacchaeus was a hated man. 
Nobody in that town likes Zacchaeus. And there's this Jesus parade coming by, right? And Zacchaeus, he's got a couple of things against him. Number one, he is short. I think the Greek literally means super short. He's short and he's sinful. I'm not saying that if you're short, you're sinful. But he was short and he was sinful. And Jesus is coming by and he wants to see Jesus. Look, he wanted to see Jesus. This week in community group, you'll talk through some of the obstacles that we face. But I'm telling you, there are all kinds of reasons that we don't come to see Jesus. Well, he, I, don't, I don't want to see Jesus. If I see Jesus, he might know how bad I am. Zacchaeus was a thief. He's a professional stealer. He stole from people in that town. And so he wants to see Jesus like he goes up to the parade and he can't even see Jesus because he's short, right? So he's got the obstacle of being short and sinful, but he also has the obstacle of the crowd. Like there are people there and none of them want to help him. Like have you you've been to parades, right? Like we were talking about this the other day. Um, if you want to get your picture in the paper, go to a parade, find a kid. Hopefully it's a kid you know. Because if not, you'll get your picture in favor for another reason, right? Grab that kid, put that kid up on your shoulders, give them an American flag. You'll get on the front page, right? Because kids are cute, and kids are in the back, and they can't see, and they're small, and they're short. And so people are like, oh, oh, sweet little kid, come on up here. Look at that. Oh, there's the parade. Nobody was like, oh, sweet little cute Zacchaeus. Come on up here, Zacchaeus. Get on my shoulders, Zacchaeus. Isn't this great? There's Jesus. Woo, flag. No, they're like, oh, oh, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. Everybody's like locking arms, right? <laughs> How's that? Check out the butt. You'll get that later. This was his view, right? They're not helping him out. He wants to see Jesus, and they're blocking his way. Now, do you even want to see Jesus? Are you so hungry for Jesus that nothing will stop you? Full disclosure about this fasting season that we're in. I'm a little bit nervous about it. I've never, I've never done anything like this. I've never taken 40 days and just said, like, God, what do you want me to give up? Do you want me to give up sweets or do you want me to give up TV? Or Like, I'm nervous. I'm a little nervous about, like, what that's going to look like. I'm a little bit nervous about how some of you might respond. Because some of you might be like, I am so hungry to see Jesus. I ain't going to eat nothing and drink no water for 40 days. And you will see Jesus. <laughs> Somewhere about day five, I'm going to do your funeral, right? I'm nervous about that. Like, God, like, how do we go after God but still, like, have our brains, Right? Because when I say, how hungry are you? I know some of you are like, I'm so hungry for Jesus. I would do anything. So fasting is an intentional obedience to make room for Jesus. It's not a competition. It's, it's not a way for you and I to twist God's arm. Well, you know, you, just, you, you need to do what I'm asking you to do because look at me, I'm I'm hungry. Put God like this, better do what I said because I'm, I'm fasting. That's not what this is about. It's not twisting God's arm. This is simply about creating space, making room for Jesus and asking him to fill it. And I'm, I know what you're saying. Like literally we're going to make space in our belly. 
Jensen Franklin is a pastor. He's written a book called Fasting. I would highly recommend that you read it. And one of the things he says in there, it's so true. He's like, in America especially, if you've been on mission trips to other countries, you know this is probably not true in other countries. But in America, he's like, we have a king, and it's not King Jesus. It's King's stomach, right? Like, and fasting removes King's stomach from the throne. And here, here's what, how I know that's true. We eat when we're not even hungry. Last night, me and Wendy and Sydney watching a movie. I'm not even hungry. I just get up, pause, hit the pause button, go in there, come back in with a big old bowl of ice cream and magic shell, right? Like big old, I mean big bowl. And I'm sitting there eating it. Why? I don't know. I want it. Am I hungry? Nope. Is it too late to eat? What is it like after eight on the way? What, how, what does the thing go? Something about through the lips and on the hips or after late, it's too late. It was like 1030. I might as well just take that ice cream and be like, like, you know, whatever. I mean, that's where it's going to go. It's too late. I'm not even hungry and I'm eating. The point here is, like Zacchaeus says, nothing's going to keep me from Jesus. And some of us are going to, we're going to like fast from TV. You're going to give up your favorite show. About day two. Oh, Jesus. I don't know why I even did this. This is crazy, man. I mean, like you love me even if I watch Seinfeld. I, 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 can't, I can't not, I got I to gotta catch up on my Netflix, God. You, you, you understand I'm weak. I need to catch up on, I, I got to binge something. We, 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 we tend to like hit this obstacle and just stop. Instead of just understanding that there's going to be obstacles, right? Can I just say this? I don't know what you're going to do. I mean, I am strongly discouraging anybody in this church from fasting from food and water for 40 days. Like, I do not want you to die, right? Let's just say this. I can guarantee this. If you said, look, my part in this 40-day fasting period is I'm going to take three days and I'm not going to eat lunch. That would be a good place to start. Can I tell you what's going to happen? Out of 40 days, those will be the three days that your friends call and ask you to lunch. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Right? Guaranteed. Because as soon as, soon as we say we want to see Jesus, there will be an obstacle. Zacchaeus pushed through that. He found a way. He climbed a tree. I love that. Listen, what I love about this story is that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but Jesus wanted to see Zacchaeus. What, it, I love this. When Jesus came by, verse 5, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said. And here's what, up in a tree somewhere, Zacchaeus is like, who? What? I, I don't remember the last time I was called by my name. In that town, what do you think he was called? Stuff I can't say, right? What is jerk, thief, tax guy? Nobody called him Zacchaeus. Jesus did. He knew his name. He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I believe this, that on that day, Zacchaeus experienced a shift and I want us to experience the same shift. Now, I'm going to talk you through it, okay? Before we get to the slide, let me just tell you what the shift is. I'll give you a quick disclaimer, and then we'll move on, okay? The shift that I want us to experience is a shift from cop to coach. Now, this is not saying that cops are bad or that all coaches are good, right? Um, I've had bad coaches in my life. I know you're shocked to even think that I played sports, but I did. 
when I was in middle school, um, I was super, 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 super skinny. I mean, I was so skinny that my chest was like almost to my back. And your, my chest was so small, it meant my gut looked super big. And I remember there was this girl I liked, and she was on the girls' team, and they were going to practice after the guys' team, and they all started filtering into the gymnasium at Albemarle Middle School. Back then it was Albemarle Junior High. And, and, and we're finishing up our practice, and the coach hollered out, all right, guys, let's play a quick game of shirts versus skins. And I didn't even love Jesus, and I started praying. Oh, God, please let me be shirt. Let me be shirt. Let me be shirt. Jenkins, skin. Oh, God. Pull that shirt off. Stick my chest out as far as I possibly can. And my coach said, Jenkins, how can you even see your shoes, your feet to tie your shoes? Because I'm telling you, man, like I was so skinny. It's like, I'm a, I, this, is just, this is my body shape. It's crazy. And I was like, that's weird. I can't really even see my feet. But the girl that I was crazy about was standing right there. She started doing like what girls do. Like, oh, God. Bad coach, right? I'm not saying that all cops are bad and all coaches are good. But we're going to talk about shifting from cop to coach. And these are not professions. This is about perspective, okay? All right, I got a handy-dandy comparison chart for you. We're going to throw it up here. So let me just say this one more time, okay? I want to make sure this is super clear. This And this will stay up there for the rest of the message, okay? You'll be, you can copy it at your own leisure. Cop and coach is not about profession, okay? Like, today at church, I learned that God does not want me to be a cop. No, that's not it. I, you can put pastor at the top. I can pastor like a cop or I can pastor like a coach. You can teach like a cop or you can teach like a coach. You can parent like a cop or you can parent like a coach. That's what we're talking about. Does that make sense? It's a shift in perspective. And Zacchaeus experienced this. He lived in a city full of cops, but he met a Savior who was like a coach. And it made all the difference in his life. Here we go, okay? Really quick. Let's just walk through this. Number one, um, cops ticket the wrong and coaches, coaches will teach the right. Okay? Now, listen, again, cops, that's their job, Right? To ticket the wrong. And coaches teach the right. Now, we're not saying that be a coach and never point out what somebody did was wrong. The point is to teach them how to do it right. Man, if you've played sports, <laughs> you have had a coach at some point get up in your face and say, uh, that's not how we do it. <laughs> I'm going to teach you how to do it the right way, okay? Cops don't have time for that. Just give you a ticket and leave. Cops cause fear. Coaches inspire faith. Let me make sure that you fully understand this. How many of you have experienced the emotion of driving down in your car and seeing blue lights come up behind you, and they turn on? Let me tell you what you never think. Oh, that's awesome. They're bringing me donuts. I bet they got Krispy Kreme, too. I love Krispy Kreme. I love the the, the chocolate glazed. They're going to bring me something. So they walk over to your window. You put your window down your light. You don't do that. You don't, you don't, you don't think, oh, this is going to be so fun. I, I was praying today that I could have a conversation with a cop. And here we are. No, no, no. You have fear immediately. Listen, because I'm just like you. You could be driving down the road doing the speed limit. And the minute those blue lights come on, you hit the brake. 
You slowing down below the speed limit, you're like, I got my belt on. I, I, the radio's, you turn the radio off. I ain't, I ain't jamming to 80s music. I don't know what he's talking about. I, you, you, you get the smile off your face. Like, I'm taking driving serious, right? Like we just immediately get this checklist and you're not even doing anything wrong. It's just immediately just causes fear. Man, you can, you can treat people like that. Which just your presence causes fear. Oh, here comes that Jesus freak. They're going to bust me over my sin. And you cause fear. What does the coach do? He's in, he is inspiring faith. She's inspiring faith. You can do this. I believe in you. So the cop points out our mistakes. Again, it's their job. But a coach points out our potential. They believe that if they teach you the right way, if they inspire in you the belief that you can do it, and they actually point out your potential that you will achieve it. Man, Adam and I, we, we spent a couple of seasons coaching middle school girls basketball. That's fun. You don't just put them out on the court like, hey, you can't even dribble. Go for it. You, you got you to gotta encourage them. Point out that, like, you've got two hands. You can do this. Bounce the ball. Waist high. Bend down a little bit. Head up. Right? That's what coaches do. I love how cops, they focus on the rules, right? Coaches focus on the relationship. Now, I don't mean that you're a good coach or if you're parenting. I don't mean that what you're doing is like, hey, let's be buddies and pals. What I mean is cops don't have time for that. They're just going to, you broke the rule, here's the ticket, out of here, right? I'm, on to, I'm going off to catch other bad people. But a coach will take the time to know how, you'll he- how to say to you in a way that you'll hear what he's having to- he has to say. She'll call you over, and she might get up in somebody's face, but she's whispering in your ear because you both hear different ways. And she's gotten to know you enough to know, how do I communicate this in this relationship? Cops catch us in the act. Coaches release us to act. One of my life verses when I was youth pastoring was 2 Peter 1.15. Peter's writing to these believers, and he said this, So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. And I would tell teenagers all the time, the one guarantee we have in life is a goodbye. I'm done. You're moving. I'm moving. I mean, at some point, I'm not moving in and living with you the rest of your life. you got to know how to do this on your own. You know what I love about coaches? Coaches know this. Some of you are like, I want to be a coach. It sounds like fun, right? Coaches know. They know that at some point you're going to be on the field, you're going to be on the court, and it's going to be crazy loud in that stadium, in that gymnasium. People are going to be cheering and going nuts, and they're going to be yelling at you, but you can't even hear them. Anybody play sports, you know this is true, right? You can't even hear them. You're like, look at their own sidelines just waving their hands. You get in a huddle like, what's coach saying? I ain't got no clue. Here's what we're going to do. Because the coach knows that there's some point where he or she will not be with you. And he or she's got to prepare you to act when they can't tell you what to do. This is what the gospel is all about. Peter's saying, I'm going to keep telling you these things that you should already know because at some point I won't be with you. I'm going to prepare you. So I can release you to go out and act. Jesus says he's sending us into the world. 
for the gospel. He's sending us out. He wants to prepare us so that we can actually go and act and do it. Cops are external motivation. Isn't that the truth? Coaches are internal motivation. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. That word for rule literally means like be an umpire, be a referee. Here's what it means. We have speed limits because we want to go as fast as we want to go. We don't typically think about the other person on the road. We just think, I want to get where I want to get. But do you know that if, if the Holy Spirit internally was motivating us, we might not even need speed limit signs because we would bump up against that limit and go on the inside. We'd just be like, ooh, I, I need to slow down. Because on this road right now is some teenager learning how to drive. And their parents with them, and they're freaking out. I remember I, it changed my entire perspective when my kids started driving. I wanted to put big neon signs on my car that just said, slow down. We are trying to learn how to drive here. Back your car off my butt. My kid is trying to learn how to drive here. Pull this car over. I'm going to go kill somebody. I mean, it changes your whole perspective. You suddenly realize how impatient people are on the road because they want to get where they want to get to. And that's why we have cops, because we need to be externally motivated to slow down. But internal motivation is that. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Listen, if that was happening in the church, preachers probably wouldn't be preaching about sin because we'd already be convicted. Cops versus coach. The last one is um, directly related to verse 10. Again, this is the, 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 the key verse. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. And here's what, here's what that is. Cops see the problem and coaches see the purpose. Do you know in that city, Zacchaeus was a problem. Guys, always stealing money from me. He always collects tax money. He makes me pay him more than I'm supposed to. Can't stand that guy. He's such a. If we could just get rid of him. <laughs> Last night we were watching Murder on the Orient Express. That's what people want to do to Zacchaeus, right? Let's get that man on the train, and all of us are going to meet up in his room and take care of this. He's a problem. But Jesus stopped and looked at Zacchaeus, called him by name, and here's what Jesus said to that entire city: "Your problem is my purpose." You don't know what to do with Zacchaeus because he's a problem for you. But I came to seek and save those who are lost. I came to seek and save your problem. Do you get that? Do you see the shift? It's a powerful shift. What would, what would Albemarle and Stanley kind of look like if suddenly the server you have at lunch today isn't doing you a disservice by having a bad day? But suddenly you were like, wait a second, hold up. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and he sent me the way that he was sent. So I'm actually sitting at this table because that problem is my purpose. People would want to know more about Jesus. The crowd looked at Zacchaeus and muttered. Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and saw his purpose. I'm praying, man, over this 50 days to fire I'm praying in you and in me that he starts to shift things for us, that we suddenly begin to see people differently. 
in our town that we see each other differently. I'm praying that at the end of this 50 days we'll find ourselves seeing the same things we've always seen, but we would just see them a little bit differently. Look, we're going to wrap this up. Can I give you a couple takeaways? Uh, these will not be up on the screen, so you'll have to jot these down. Here's the first one. This blows, just blew my mind when I was reading the story. Repentance restores us to God. We know that, right? Repentance restores us. It's a big word. Nobody, don't say the R word, but repentance restores us to God. We sin, and he, for, he says, look, just repent, and I'll forgive you. And we're like, God, I'm so sorry. I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to do a U-turn. I'm not going to do that again. And he's like, check, cool, forgiven. First John, John 1, 1.9, he removes all of our filth and unrighteousness, right? We get that. That's repentance. That's a really good thing. Zacchaeus experienced that because Jesus ate with him. He's hanging out with Jesus, and Jesus is like, man, I came for you. You're the reason I'm here. Zacchaeus, I got a purpose and a plan for your life. And Zacchaeus, experienced, he experienced repentance, and he was made right with God through Jesus Christ. Here's the part that we forget. That does not restore us to men. Because in that town, Zacchaeus was right with God, but he was hated by everybody else. Right Responsibility restores us to men. Taking responsibility for the things that we've done in the past that have hurt other people, that's what restores the relationship we have with men. I, I believe this over the next 50 days. We're already into it, so like the next 40 some odd days. I believe this, that there could be a lot of texts being sent and a lot of phone calls being made, a lot of letters being written to people that we, the Lord just brings to our mind. Like, oh, I need to make things right with that person. I'll never forget going back. Um, I might have told you this before, but when I was started youth pastoring here in town and I would tell stories about being in the band, and my, um, my, my youth group told me, like, Paul, you always talk about the band, but, like, the band director doesn't like you. Like, oh, that's because I was kind of a jerk when I was in high school. And I went back to, the, to Admiral High School, and I apologized to the band director. I was like, dude, when I was in your class, I was so disrespectful to you. And I keep hearing from my students how, like, you keep talking about me as, like, an example of the bad student. So I'm here to make it right. Because that's what restores the relationship with men. Man, you don't have to do that to be right with God. But if you want to have influence with men, you got to make it right with men. you got to accept responsibility. And Zacchaeus did that. And here's how he did it. I, I, this is amazing to me. Zacchaeus said to, God, said to Jesus, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, verse 8. And if I've cheated anybody on their taxes... Can you imagine Jesus just chuckling? He's like, if? Dude, come on. I'm Jesus. I know. Like, there's no if. You did it, right? Like, if I cheated anybody on my taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Now, real quick before I make the second takeaway, um, Leviticus 6.5, just jot it down, look it up later. That's the Levitical law on what you're supposed to do if you steal something, right? So if you steal from somebody, what you were supposed to do was give them back what you stole plus 20%. Some of you are like, that's a good deal. Like, just steal it right now and give me 20% back, right? But Zacchaeus said, I'll give back four times as much. So here's some math for you. If Zacchaeus stole $100 from you, then he'd have to pay you $100 plus 20. That's 100 plus 20%. So that's $120. But what Zacchaeus said to Jesus was, I'll give 400 And what I want you to see is that Jesus didn't ask him to. That is the shift. The presence of Jesus in our lives shifts us from wanting to only do what's required to suddenly wanting to do even more than that. Can I just say as a pastor, pastors hate talking about money. 
Because when pastors talk about money, it feels like you're taking the entire church and flipping them upside down and shaking them so all their money will fall out. It's an awful feeling, right? It's possible that the biggest offering you've ever given was because some pastor did that to you. But Zacchaeus is like, I don't need Jesus to tell me what to do because I've had a shift. I'm not just going to do what is required by the law. I just want to do even so much more. What does this mean for us? It means this, the presence of Jesus shifts us from required to desired. I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because I want to. Listen, I am as a pastor for the first time ever calling our church to a corporate prayer and fasting. But you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. We don't have a sign-up sheet. You know why? Because we didn't want anybody to feel like we were checking up to see if you were doing it. All I've said is ask uh, what he wants you to do and then just do it. Just be obedient. I'm not telling you what I'm doing. You're going to tell me what you're doing because it doesn't matter. What matters is in my heart right now, I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus. I don't want to just do what's required. I want to do what I desire to do. I mean, he's moving in your heart and you're exactly like, I want to do more. Without Jesus even asking him to. Why is that so important for this statement? No one wants to be pushed towards problems. We'd rather be led toward purpose. And a cop pushes us because of problems. He's pushing us. She's pushing us, trying to fix the problem. Act better. Slow down. The Holy Spirit leads us to purpose like a coach. And I'm praying that this... This season from Easter to Pentecost, May the 20th, man, I'm praying that God would lead you like that by his spirit. And that you would experience this Zacchaeus shift. And that your actions would simply reveal to people around you, man, the presence of God has come to this person's house. Can I pray for you as we close? And I, wanna, I want you to close your eyes because I want to give you the chance to just kind of think with the Lord I'm going to ask you this question. I've told you to, you know, take the first 10 days and just ask God, what am I praying, what am I fasting from, and what am I fasting for, right? Can I tell you what I know about some of, some of us? Some of us in the room, I know you're fasting for your marriage, right? God, I, we're stuck. I don't know what to do. I'm fasting for that. Some of you are fasting for your job situations. God, am I supposed to stay where I am or are you going to open another door? Some of you are fasting for financial reasons. Like, God, I need, I've honored you in giving. I've, I've been a faithful tither. And, God, I, just, I, got, I need you to come through. And you're fasting for that. Some of you are fasting for the salvation of people that you love, friends that you work with. And what I want you to know is this. As you fast... Man, I want you to fast and pray. I want you to expect to see God shift in those areas, shift in your finances, shift in your relationships. How will he do it? I have no clue. But I know that he will. So just with your eyes closed, if, if you're here and you, you have that, re, like I'm fasting for blank and you've got something in that blank, I'm, I'm setting aside time to pray and to fast. I'm not going to read. I'm, I'm actually not going to watch TV because I'm going I'm to spend time reading the Bible and I'm, I'm doing it for this specific reason. If you've already got that answer, like I'm doing this for blank, 
Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I've got an answer right there. I know what I'm fasting for. I know what I'm setting my, my time aside for. And I just want to close this morning praying for you, okay? You just keep your hands up, all right? Just keep your hands up. Father, in your name, Jesus, right now, I'm asking God that the hearts attached to the hands that are raised, man, you would just encourage them, fill them with an expectation. I don't think that Zacchaeus climbed that tree slowly. I think he sprinted up that tree. He wanted to see you. And you saw him. And I'm praying, God, that you would fill our hearts with expectation that over the next several weeks, We'd be writing down in our journal ways that, man, God's coming through. He sees me. It's not because we're trying to twist your arm, God. It's simply our response to this shift, God, that you're working in our hearts. We don't have to. We get to. In your name, Jesus, amen.